From Theatrical Shenanigans, this is The Panel Presents with Dana Hall, Robert J. LeBlanc, Deborah A. Cole, George Sapio. Hello there, and welcome to the first episode of a new, very special Theatrical Shenanigans series. In this series, there will be no audio plays, which I know is basically what I do, but stay with me. The series is entitled The Panel Presents, which will be presented on the first Saturday of every month in the same place you get your regular theatrical shenanigans. It will consist of four amazing people from the world of theatre and playwriting answering topical questions, so you don't just get one guest, you get four. So, as we have a lot to get through with this first episode, I will introduce you to our fabulous panellists, all of whom are well known here on Theatrical Shenanigans and hail from all corners of the globe. My first panellist hails from the glorious land of Costa Rica. As well as having a fabulous collection of plays, he is the author of an amazing book entitled Workshopping the Play, a guide for playwrights, directors and dramaturgs. He is also a podcast presenter of On Stage, Off Stage with 165 episodes. I've had him on the show before as a guest and a performer. Welcome back, George Sapio. Well, thank you very much, Rachel. It is an honour and a pleasure to be here. Always fabulous to have you. My second panellist is based in the windy city of Chicago and has described herself as a playwright, among other things, with the list of other things being insanely vast. She is a fabulous performer, both vocal and on stage, and a wonderful playwright with two decades of experience in the industry, as well as a list of awards and achievements that would literally put me out of breath to read them all. You can find all of her amazing achievements on DanaHallCreates.com, but now she is here with us. Welcome, Dana Hall. Thank you so much, Rachel. It's a pleasure to be here with everyone. Well, it's fabulous to have you. My third panellist also hails from the US, but this time from Boston, Massachusetts, and joins us for his second stint on Theatrical Shenanigans. His list of titles includes playwright, actor, artist, as well as the lead writer and host for his comedy ensemble, Boulder Dash Academy, and a writer and producer of his own live comedy show and podcast. If that wasn't enough, he was most recently a guest series writer for the Realm's hit horror podcast, Undertow, to this day, I am not sure when he sleeps, but I'm thrilled to have him here. Welcome back, Robert LeBlanc. The trick is to not sleep. <laughs> ah, <laughs> I'm enough. glad I'm here. I'm having a blast, yeah. yeah now we know. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, I have a third US panelist, but this time from Lawrence, Kansas. Keeping with the theme of being amazingly talented and incredibly busy, she is an award-winning playwright, director, and theatre educator with degrees in journalism, education, and art history. She's had plays performed all over the world, and if you read her work, it's very easy to understand why. She's another former actor and guest on Theatrical Shenanigans. Welcome, Deborah Cole. Oh, thrilled to be here, Rachel. (laughs) We'll start with, hopefully, a very simple question. What does the word theatre mean to you? George, let's start with you. Oh, boy. Um, Theatre is my life, and I'm not saying that uh, uh, sarcastically. Theater's theater's different. It's different than all other forms of entertainment. It's live. It's people right there up in front of you. So yeah, I get a little excited about it, but that's what theater is. (laughs) Uh, Deb, assuming there are any more words left after George, what does theater mean to you? For me, um, theater is expression. Theater is creativity. Theater is therapy at times. (laughs) For a writer perspective, I think I use theater to work through a lot of things, right? Ideas, concepts, emotions, um, all those beautiful things. And I I think it has the ability to do that for so many people. So I think uh, I'm going to go with theater as therapy 
for so many of us that that look at it from all different ways. So, Robert, how about you? So, theater to me is all about the collaboration. What I love doing is in theater itself, watching how my words are translated by the director, how they're translated through the actor. The reality is the actors spend more time with my characters than I do. <laughs> they need to know them. I need to finish writing them. They need to bring them to life. And there's a lot more complexity in the performance, I think, than in the writing. So for me, it's collaboration. And Dana? Yeah, um, to kind of go off what everyone has said, I think theater means expression, freedom. It's a place full of possibilities. It's a place where you can explore the human condition. Um, for me personally, I think theater's been my most consistent relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I've loved, I've grieved, I've healed. So theater is about impact, I guess, for me. Okay, uh, staying with Dana then, we'll move to our first question. Um, qualifications in theatre, and in some cases the arts in general, have been stereotyped in the past, at least definitely in Britain, as, um, and for those obviously who can't see me, I'm doing air quotes, uh, Mickey Mouse degrees. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that kind of <laughs> do you think that kind of stigma still exists, or do you think the way people think about theatre as an education has changed or evolved? Yeah, so this is a real complex one because on one side, to answer that, yes, unfortunately, the stigma does exist here in the States as well. You know, we hear things like, why don't you get a more practical degree? Or so you want to wait tables for the rest of your life. You know, And perhaps right. that's out of fear, you know, wanting our younger generations to be self-sufficient and fearing that employment won't be readily available for someone who has a degree in the arts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes I think it may come from, you know, previous generations that don't necessarily understand choosing a degree for passion versus one seeming more fiscally responsible, as I do air quotes. But <laughs> but art, you know, is a reflection of society and culture. It's so important to say that the a degree in the arts is a Mickey Mouse degree really undermines what the arts are to us. You know, as I said in my definition of theater, you know, um, this is about human beings and the influences that we have and how we relate to each other. You know, try to make it through a day without consuming art in some way. You can't. Mm -hmm. So it, it does disappoint me to hear people um, being persuaded against degrees in the arts because there are a multitude of career options in the arts. Just ask right. Bob. He has like 10, 20, 30 of them, <laughs> right? So <laughs> you could be a career counselor in this. But even if you don't directly apply a theater degree, it doesn't mean that you've wasted your time. Mm -hmm. It's such a versatile no. toolbox that will benefit you your whole life with creative problem solving, you know, out of the box thinking, perspective taking, marketing, I, you know, um, taking something you've created and marketing that, mm. communication, collaboration, you know, and of course a thick skin for rejection. Mm. Um, kidding, but also true. And these are life um, skills. Yeah. So in terms of playwrights though, I think this is the slant that we hear most often in the playwright connection of our Facebook group is that we hear people saying, um, 
they question their legitimacy as a writer unless they have an MFA or advanced training. Mm. And to that, Bob and I consistently say that though you have to learn the art, you have to learn format, structure, dialogue, of course. Mm. However, we all have a story to tell and it's powerful and affirming to do that and to find your voice. Education and training, you know, give you the tools, but you don't need advanced study as a prereq to create and to tell your story and your narrative. Mm. Um, you know, I think we all agree that you know, like what is a prereq is the desire to learn mm. and grow, right. collaborate. Mm -hmm. We, we yeah. know those that don't, don't really succeed in this and to humble yourself to the process. If you have those ingredients, you're gonna you're gonna find your way and of course you know it's not to say that an mfa masters or whatever isn't the, the right option for some people personally you know i have degrees in that area in, in psychology and education and to go back for an mfa in writing just right now is not appealing to me in that avenue but i recommend people look into mentorships intensives master classes collectives yeah. mm -hmm. and be a part yeah. of a community that's like-minded right yeah. You know, I think that's most important. Um, but yeah, so I do think that there's evolution, but I do think that there's still stigma. And especially for playwrights, um, feeling like you can't begin until will kill the creative nature inside of you. Start where you are right. and then seek from there what you need. Yeah. 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 Is that horrible expression of when you tell someone you're a playwright or you're working towards being a playwright or a actress or anything like that and they go oh so you don't have a real job then mm. just those two words of real job that's letting other people's real. fears and worries yeah we, we, yeah. we, we rachel what's i think you brought job? up the day yeah what's a real yeah, job that's, that's just somebody from who doesn't understand yeah. telling you they don't understand what it is you do we're all writers we're all theater people we do this is our passion mm. this is what we do this is this is what makes our life have the joy that it does and for somebody who doesn't understand who's probably never been there who to come along and belittle you that's that's huh who needs that yeah just move yeah. on write another play you know just i think better yet put them in it oh, <laughs> even oh, better I, i've oh, done that done. i have done i've it. done it too oh yeah no oh yeah no it's, it's like what deb said this is my therapy you want to yeah. see what's this... gonna happen here we go my I husband will we'll be out for dinner and he'll say oh that table they're in trouble they're in trouble <laughs> i said i said i know he said you're getting all of it aren't you and i said absolutely yeah. and then i go make my notes you know those are um, wonderful moments of human condition it's i want to go back so briefly to the, to the issue of the legitimacy of having letters after your name mm. um, i've got an mfa which i paid twenty six thousand dollars for and what i learned Two things I've learned is that the MFA has done absolutely nothing for me in the ensuing years. Nobody's cared that I've had a, you know, three letters after my name. So, and a lot of what I got, I had already experienced because I've been in this mm. business for over 35 years now. All right. But the priceless part of this was spending the time with my cohort, with other yeah. writers, yeah. other playwrights, other, you know, uh, uh, fellow creatives who we were together for a week and we bonded like crazy mm. and we listened to each other's work and we supported each other. And I have never, aside from my recent uh, residency at McDowell, never 
come out of anything feeling so inspired, feeling powerful, mm -hmm. feeling like I can write plays that will change the world. None of them has so far, but what, you know, <laughs> anything's possible. But, you know, when they say your soul takes flight, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. That's what my MFA did yeah. for me. I, I'm going to open a can of worms because uh -oh. why oh, no. not? So number one, when it comes to education, if somebody wants to get an education in theater, I wholly support it, but I always tell them major in the business skills you need to run your theater career. Mm -hmm. Major Brilliant. in accounting, major in business, major in advertising, because those are harder to pick up without a degree than theater. Mm -hmm. your minor in theater will be the core of your career everything else will be the four dummies books you're trying to scramble to learn because taxes are due <laughs> yeah or mm -hmm. how to market your show on facebook or in the print or on the web the ability to also then move that into a creative job where many creative jobs give you the freedom to write when you need to Right. Mm. Or to perform or take time off to go to the commercial shoot or take time off to finish the audiobook narration or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But majoring in business or accounting or some theater supportive industry. Mm. Right. Every we've all worked in, around, or for theaters, and we all know that there's this other that's unobtainable that you need to run the business. And oftentimes it's an old theater person who are putting beside, uh, putting aside their passion to learn this other so they can run their business. You get a degree in it, you're already out the door knowing the hard part. I went into teaching. So I taught playwriting. I taught the, I mean, I did all sorts of things. And then 10 years ago decided, why am I not writing? You know, so I had three degrees. I wasn't going to go back and get a, more letters. I'm right. done. We, we did it. So places like the Playwright Connection and Literary Discourse Society and any group where you find like-minded people is sort of like taking master classes if you use it appropriately. And if you, yeah. you ask questions right. and you ask for feedback. And so for me, without the specific letters that have to do with this profession, there are still so many resources. I mean, reading New Play Exchange, I, I, I will I will swear by it as mm -hmm. I have read so oh, much yeah. as part oh, of my yeah. education, right? And that was such a great tool to have at such a low cost to get in there yeah. and read everyone. Yeah. And then once I found someone I loved, I went deeper into the catalog. I mean, you all do that. So I know you do, but it, it, that that's where those moments we're recreating that what George had, you know, in his, yeah. we're, right. we're trying to find our moments to recreate that. Those of us who started later. But Deb, it's important to say that, especially about NPX, because there's so many people who see that as a, I pay the money I get produced. That's not Which, what it is. It's <laughs> it, at all. Right. It may, you're talking anywhere from 10 to 20 bucks a month. If you go pro, I think it's 18. Um, right. And you have access to a curated list of plays written right. by your contemporaries. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I found my favorite playwrights on NPX just following a random link and reading. Um, so many people focus about getting a recommendation rather than finding a new passion.
So, yeah, yeah sure. it might be a Mickey Mouse degree, but Mickey's worth billions. <laughs> yeah. That mouse is rich. That mouse, making it rain, that mouse. <laughs> Lots of cheese. Good for the mouse. Yeah, but I mean, and, and in terms of the skills that it takes to write a play, I think when people read something or they watch or they watch something on stage and it looks easy, that's because of the skill that went into yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah. Not the hours right. behind that. Right. Yeah. Yes. I mean, script writing is not an easy process. Literary theory is not um, no. something to poof poof. Plot and character development, the creativity of vision and to play out a storyline in a way that's new and fresh. This is something, like George said, you created people. When yeah. I watch a show that I did, I sit there, I'm like, these people didn't exist. It's amazing what these actors have added layer to. And that's the beauty of, of what we do is, everyone that collaborates with us adds a layer onto it. So yeah. that vision just becomes more full. On the one last connection though to the education side of things, I think the uh, the idea of getting a degree in theatre carries a hefty difference to getting a degree in say science or, or mathematics because those degrees contain large volumes of information that has to be done a certain way. So, you know, in mathematics, two plus two is always going to equal four. Whereas in theatre, two plus two can equal a purple flying chicken. Right. But you, you think about it, the employers are looking for 21st century skills. That's the buzz, yeah. right? Mm. Yeah. Theatre has that. You can manage projects. You can negotiate. You would just what everyone's been talking about. And that's the beauty of it is, is it gives you, it's a really well-rounded background for somebody. Mm. Okay. Dana, do you want a closing statement for your question before we move on? Right. Um, yeah, just what we said about um, not only is the education formal, but the informal education is just an amazing part of this experience. And in that you want to find community, you want to find support, you want to um, kind of find your people. Um, and those people out there that criticize what you do or don't understand it and don't want to learn, what they're telling us is that they're not our people. And that's okay, but we it's almost like, thank you for telling me, and now let me gravitate towards where I know I belong then. Too often, I think, especially as women, do we change ourselves to fit in, and I think that that's why sometimes people get pulled into programs uh, that may not be ready for them or whatever the case, because it's like an external form of validation. But that has to come internally first, no matter what your degree is. Yeah. You have to be able to stand in your own and be able to say, that's okay. You don't get it. That's on you. And I have empathy that, you know, that you can't or haven't been able to find your passion, but that's not going to interrupt my situation you know and that's a hard thing to do especially as an artist a creative we all have a little bit of that tinkerbell syndrome where we only exist if people applaud and <laughs> it's just it's hard because we do it's like do you like me do you like me in that we create these works we labor over them and it's not for approval but it's hard to put a piece of yourself out there and not have that vulnerability mm -hmm. hangover and then when we receive that one you know piece of uh, feedback or criticism or whatever it's hard for that not to take Tinkerbell off the stage but she exists and she will continue to exist and everyone else will applaud that needs to so yeah so I guess that's my takeaway it's like do what works for you there's no right answer um, okay well when it comes to 
and again, I'm really bad. I shouldn't be using air quotes for people who can't see. When it comes to classical theatre, so your Shakespeare, your Agatha Christie, your Arthur Miller, and their mm. place in the modern world of theatre, do you think they are productions that should continue to be produced, or do you think they've had their day? I don't think any play has had their day if it touches the emotional zeitgeist of the society that it's being played in. Mm. Right? I mean, it's finding value in a theatrical performance. If it talks to the audience, it's the right show to play. Mm. And I don't care who wrote it, right? Mm. If it's not hurting anybody, <laughs> if, if it's not actively trying to destroy what we humanity have. yeah <laughs> it's okay that modern audiences are now finally realizing that shakespeare meant for the whole romeo and juliet thing to be creepy like that's important and if it talks to society it's the right show um that being said the motivation behind the production, I think, is more important than the production itself. If you're, if you know that putting on this show will bring money to your theater because people have to see it, you're liable to get complacent. And complacency is where art goes to die. So we work in a translative medium translate the show to your audience don't mount it for ticket sales you get that a lot in amateur theater over here um we'll do this why because it's going to put bums on seats yeah it's a commonly used phrase in the amateur yeah. circle over here theater and is so you know sparsely funded anyway i mean it's yeah it's staying alive and keeping the pulse going is a major, you know, major thing. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. Translate it. Put the work in to find a way to make that show talk to your audience and it's the right yeah. show to play. And find so, ways, I would say, to, to do some smaller things and some experimental yeah. just to, to trust your audience that maybe they're ready for something occasionally, you know? tiptoe yeah. in a little bit and see what feedback you get because there's so many pieces that no one's heard of in the general public that are just you know earth-shattering pieces that you leave and you'll have so much to talk about but getting it in there when that big dollar you know when you yeah. know you can fill the seats with what we're talking about that's yeah. a risk and it takes someone with vision to take yeah. that risk yeah well, with, with all the shows people know what they're getting Right. You know it's, a, it's a no. You know it's right. End. You know, it's yeah. right. it's comfortable. It's there's no challenge. But if you have theater companies who use the tent poles as a resume mm. and say, look what we did yeah. with this. Mm. If you trust us with your favorite show, you should see this new one we're doing. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it's I think it's a responsibility of an artist to train their audience in many ways you know if you go to theater and the only theater that you've ever gone to is a pantomime you're going to yell at this at the stage <laughs> right yeah. um so it's up to us as theater makers to educate the audience on what is important or what 
what they should look for in a show, that it isn't necessarily big, expensive sets and costuming. And sometimes a blank stage with two chairs and a black wall can give you a more powerful performance mm -hmm. performance of a known show than a transforming set. Sometimes a spectacle is good, but I think it's up to us to lead that education for theater consumers as theater makers. You know, chefs mm -hmm. became celebrity chefs because they started to teach people what in food was important. I had the good fortune <laughs> to run the uh, Ithaca New York Fringe Festival for four years. And it's the antithesis of the classical shows, the, the old chestnuts, because yeah. we deliberately looked for the stuff that was brand new, the stuff that could be up and coming, the stuff that was never going to get a stage in your regional because it was untried, it was unquantifiable. Um, it couldn't yeah. guarantee butts and seats. And it was a major lesson in advertising. It was a major lesson in translating the worth of the show, the idea of the show, the complexity of what went into that to a general public that is, you need yeah. to grab them and make them aware of this and tell them why this is important. And we had some really amazing, amazing houses, much better than we, we ever uh, expected. Um, but it was new stuff. Mm. And yeah. people began to realize that, oh my gosh, the Fringe Festival is coming around again. God knows what they're going to come up with this year. <laughs> but it might be interesting. And we started to get more butts and seats and people started to take more chances. The same people came year after year after year. Um, and we had our own public. It was brilliant. Yeah. And you can start it that way and grow anything as long as you make it meaningful to people who might not even think about going to theater. Yeah, right. possible. It can be done. I've had I've had this conversation with uh, with you, George, for especially regarding Shakespeare, um, because it's yeah. because it's studied in schools. I think you can't not make it talk to the audience because otherwise you're going to have a room full of teenagers that are bored out of their mind. Well, it's the way it was presented, the way it was presented yeah. back in the day, it just wouldn't work for kids now. It's the way we as teachers, and you know, I I was a teacher, have high school kids read it. You're never going to get the emotion, the understanding. Yes, some will get it on some level, but to have these group readings in class also it, it changes how they perceive it also yeah. because yeah. they're not, they're not seeing a professional actor bring something to it that speaks to them and it just comes yeah. to life, you know. Deb is so right on. It's it's I fell in love with Shakespeare in high school because I had a a, a teacher who knew how to teach it. I had right. a teacher it who matters. knew yeah, what to compare it to, you know, going in and making it accessible by saying, this is not the greatest literary work of all time. This is a soap opera that people really liked and performed forever. And going in with that mindset, it immediately adds the irreverency to the material that the, um, the veneration of the material has lost. It, 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 it's like people who get upset with Stephen King's writing because it's not literary enough. He, he writes B movies. That's what makes it fun. Shakespeare's That's what I want out of it. Writers in the business. Yeah. 
like Shakespeare wrote for whatever their patrons wanted. I get yeah. that. I'm a commercial playwright. I understand that. Like, no, this isn't art. 500 years. Let's hope people are pay performing my it is an art on stage. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, yeah. Having having an educator who knows how to translate the classics right. to to teach their students why it's relevant to them is important. Yeah. And it's, it's that connection and that passion that could make a difference in a life. I'd say same thing for all kids should be doing, you know, theater summer camps. I mean, yeah. just opening their eyes about how to deal with fellow students, you know, how to yeah. conflict resolution. I mean, there's so much that can happen within a drama camps um, yeah. world. That's All performers should do tech. Yep. All yeah. playwrights should work on stage at least once as an actor. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. yep, absolutely. Yeah, Earn all everything. stage managers should get a raise. I mean, these are just basic <laughs> kind of <laughs> Very true. A stage but manager should run for president. We could have them all figured out. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so when I was nervous about being becoming a mom, someone said, well, you've been a stage manager before. And I was like, oh, I have. I'm ready. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I can do the this. Now it's my circuit. Less tantrums. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there is. I think the only, the only kind of danger is when the Shakespeare's and the Christie's and the Miller's are being put in, as you say, to put bums on seats and new voices aren't getting a look in at all. And I yeah. know, and we know that there's loads of, there's loads of opportunities out there, but comparing those numbers of opportunities to the number of playwrights in the, in the world that exist, it, it's hard to get your voice heard. I mean, if you're lucky enough to find a theater that, want to do your work it's an incredible feeling recently the uh 2023 list from the educational alliance of the most produced high school plays was released and uh the number of women that are represented is shockingly low i think there's like a total of maybe like 90 something creative slots mm -hmm. in the categories and there appear to be uh, 13 or 14 women and maybe wow. one person of color represented. So that's less than what, 15% of yeah. the most popular, popular plays being produced. And in, and in the category of short plays, there's 12 slots. None of them are women. Well, that being it's 10 times harder. If you're female, if you're, um, yeah. of color, QUI, if yep. you're a person of color. Yeah. I feel that way. And then I go through my, you know, um, I'm in Chicago oh, yeah. and I see what shows are coming up and it's, um, I, I guess we'd call them the classics uh, for lack of better word, because I think they're just produced more, um, mm -hmm. the O'Neill's and such, the door yeah. slammers and it's fun. But, you know, I started writing because I didn't see myself on stage as an actor. I'd, I'm, yeah. I was tired. I was entering my 40s and tired of playing the ditzy girl next door, the only right. the mom, but the mom without any significance, the assistant to the right. writer. How many roles of, do we have of that? I wanted right. to have a Where say. Where are the smart women? <laughs> right. <laughs> Where's the real struggles here? Where's the arc in those characters? You know, um, there's not a lot. I mean, Ibsen, of course, and and Shakespeare did fairly well with that, but he traditionally, of course, wrote for men. And but I want for more reflective works of our society mm -hmm. to be portrayed and take a risk. And like we said, it's expensive to produce a show, and that's what's so hard when you're trying to get a work out there, and it's like, well, if it doesn't come with a name. Are they going to yeah. sell the tickets? And that's, oh, so 
so dis disheartening and black box is beautiful and fringe is beautiful and sometimes that's where you have to go to see these works but those works should be main stage works mm. um you know and so that's the kind of balance you know I, I feel like there should be more of an emphasis there and perhaps more grant funding or whatever for the arts to get those voices out there because it's more about society it's not just good entertainment it's who we are as a people this is our way that we have historically as a civilization told our narrative was through story you know and the investment just needs to be there in the backing to get these mm. things up and running so my final thought the, the whole the whole point my final thought is present what speaks to the audience mm. that's important if you're looking at wanting to introduce new works to the public, teach them the value of the new work. Teach them why it's important. You know, teach them why it's important to discover the unique in the theater. Mm -hmm. Every unproduced show is potentially somebody's favorite show. Mm -hmm. So let them know why. Okay, Deb, uh, in relation- Hey. Hey. Uh, in relation to the impact of the pandemic uh, on theatre, do you think there were positives for the world of theatre that came out of it? It's so wrong to say, oh, there were some good things, but there were some good things. I, I'll talk from a standpoint of connections. I think the way we all connect as playwrights was not in the same possibility range pre-pandemic. You know, we didn't get, yes, there were small groups that did things and this Eastern you know, all the New York people, all the LA people, the Chicago people, but having that accessibility through things like Zoom has really opened the world up um, for playwrights to collaborate. Mm. Also for some productions, right? So many, so many amazing, amazing small theater groups came to life during the pandemic because we all needed a way to express ourselves. I, that's when my writing went I went full in was pandemic because all of a sudden it was like, what else do you have going? <laughs> right? What exactly are you, you know, too busy yeah. with not to go full into this? So for me as a new writer, I think even though I started 10 years ago, I, it, it was pandemic that took it to a new level for me mm -hmm. that, that um, one could say gave me the anxiety to write more because I there was so many thoughts going in so many of our brains and our bodies and we needed to find a way to get it out and for me playwriting was that so I, I, for speaking to as a playwright I think it's been a fascinating the world got a lot smaller mm. yeah mm -hmm. and I think yeah. that has real value I've had productions in Australia you know and it's like I would love that's so cool I'm mm -hmm. not sure that would have happened in the old days of finding a listing and maybe you know having to there's like one or two occasions that still want you to send in a play that's printed on an envelope with an address and a stamp and it's mm -hmm. that's that always mm -hmm. jars me now because I'm thinking what? yeah you still do that because it's we are so easily accessible to one another and sharing information so for me I thought it was a good thing, despite death and destruction and the end of humanity. I think it, for playwrights, it was a great time to connect. Well, Dana wouldn't be here if it wasn't the pandemic. Yeah. That's when you started writing. Yeah, yeah right. I was really right. influenced by Paula Vogel started um, yeah. Bard at the Gate. And I was captivated by this medium of digital theater and mm -hmm. 
sometimes it's treated as a maybe a bad word amongst theater circles but i think if theater is going to can you know continue to thrive it's in its adaptation and it's a beautiful thing to increase access and equity and when we were at the height of that pandemic locked away and feeling disconnected how amazing was it though to connect to pieces of art that were still continuing on it was like the heartbeat still continues even though most of us felt so distant um and so yeah i was so moved by that and and it's and paula is still doing it bard at the gate i believe now is in its third season and it's not the initial the way it was very um you know how we all were on zoom in the beginning but it, it's actually come to life in a different kind of way and it's beautiful and it targets you know, greater um representation for mm -hmm. underrepresented communities those are chronic illness those that have financial limitations i mean there's just so much that the came out of the pandemic that can really change the American canon of art if we continue to see it not as a threat, but embrace it as a part of us. It doesn't, right. it, it's never going to be the stage. I'm not suggesting it should, but it is there and it is beautiful and it's a way to feel connected. Um, and that's how, you know, um, a lot of us have come to know one another now. I feel yeah. like it has made you know, we joke that the theater world is small. The playwriting world is even smaller, um, yeah. and it, and it, and it's it's really nice to have that sense of community brought right into your own space. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was a beautiful yeah. piece of um, what came from the pandemic. I was the same as you, Deb. I kind of hit the playwriting with a lot more vigor once the pandemic hit in because, as you say, what else do you do? Um, I was also very politely told by my other half that I needed to go away and find something to do and stop bothering him. Um, <laughs> but it's a, it's a massive kind of chain of connection from there because without the writing, I did. I mean, I wouldn't have discovered New Play Exchange without the pandemic because I had no idea Correct. any of these the worlds of the community that we have now existed. Um, yeah. I say literary and discourse came later, which brought so many amazing playwrights into my life and that is something i will forever be grateful for yeah my um theater ensemble came about because of the pandemic mm. balderdash academy prior to 2000 mm. was an adult prom product wow yeah um and when the pandemic hit we i had improvisers that i needed to keep sane my responsibility in my heart was to take care of these people. So I created an online comedy game show <laughs> um, that moved from uh, that to scripted material to now live shows. Prior to the pandemic, I was running a theater company. So when the pandemic hit, I had to find a way to recoup that lost income. Um, I... April of 2020, I canceled a little, little over 43 shows that I wow. had already booked, wow. some of them already prepaid. Mm -hmm. uh, not real theater. I run a mystery theater company. So think of it like children's theater for adults. Um, That's real theater. I was about to say, don't say it's not real theater. Darn it straight. Is, <laughs> but it's, uh, you're talking about like accessible theater. We we market it like a, like a game show. Think of it like a video game with better graphics. Um, where it's fully interactive, 
we never break character. We try to build the experience. But when the pandemic hit, we tried taking it on to a podcast, Sleuth's Mystery Radio. And for me, the pandemic was an opportunity to have that new beginning. One last thing for me on it is that I've always said that theatre is a constantly evolving organism. And that was never more evident than yeah. during the dark times. I'm going to quote the famous boy band, AJR, a band of brothers who make pop music, who said a hundred bad days makes a hundred good stories. A hundred good stories makes me interesting at parties. Thank you, COVID. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. George, what do you think is the biggest threat to theatre as it stands currently? And what do you believe can be done to change it? I don't think there's a threat that's going to sink the boat. There hasn't been one yet. There's a lot of things that need need to be addressed. But theater's been around since the Greeks. I mean, if the Greeks didn't kill it and the miracle plays didn't kill it <laughs> and the plagues in Shakespeare's time didn't kill it and two world wars and Broadway hasn't killed it, theater is like cockroaches. You can kill one, 10 more are going to come out of the mist because... <laughs> That's what they do. It's in, you can't, you, you can't get rid of this thing. Theater evolves through the, the worst of circumstances. We've had Zoom, every, the world was shut down for two years. Theater is still here. Theater still happened mm -hmm. and it's going to happen. The thing to make theater better, the thing to really put more lifeblood into it is to cure the apathy. And we've been talking about this as well. So it has to be, it has to be relevant. Mm -hmm. um, it's like Dana said earlier, we have to show the next generations that theater reflects things about them. The theater is relevant to them. We've got to keep theater on the pulse of whatever's happening in the real world, which means we need new playwrights, which means we need new black box productions. We need new ways to get people in. Bobby, you were talking about this before. I mean, the only other thing I can think of, and this is only because theater evolves, theater needs yeah. to remain flexible, mm. okay? It needs to be responsive. Yeah. And it can be the most dynamic of, of mediums. So mm. we need to keep the spectrum open and we need to keep voices coming in. We need to keep available theater coming in and we need to keep it reflective of what's going on outside because my God, if you take a look at the news these days, mm -hmm. it's the end times. But yeah. to play devil's advocate just a little bit, it's also, in addition to our supporting it, it also has to be financially supported because not, not every playwright makes a professional living. So, and not every playwright can afford to make the sacrifice of self-producing. And it's what's really frustrated me um, for many years is that in the UK, the government budget is, puts arts and sports in the same uh, lump sum for budget, which, you know, you know, so you're comparing the budget for, you know, a couple of what they call nice plays at the theatre mm. versus a couple of hundred thousand football fans. Oh, we we need to we need to redo Wembley Stadium and we need to update this stadium or do we need to update this theatre? Mm, I can right. see where that which way that's gonna swing. 
Comparatively, though, you're also talking to a group of playwrights who listen to what you just said as, wait, the government gives you money? Yes. Right. <laughs> well, no. this is uh, going, yeah. going right back to what we said about <laughs> what we said about education and what you said about the business side of it. I think, especially in this country, at some point, children who want or teenagers who want to study theatre should be sat down and taught how to fill out applications for grants, where to find information about it, where to look for opportunities. Because you walk out of colleges and universities, and some students haven't got a clue. And that is why they suddenly, yeah. you know, go into instant panic mode of, I have no idea yeah. what I'm doing, which is basically what I did, really. Where over here, <laughs> grant writing is how you do theatre. Mm, or you do what I do, and you just take huge business risks trying to start a theatre company. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's weird. Yeah. And, and I think that goes back to the adaptation of not only what we produce in theaters, but how we get our productions up on the stage. Ooh, yeah. But outside of grants, uh, what I found interesting now, um, some playwrights doing crowdfunding websites, yeah. fundraising parties, uh, you know, uh, tax deductible, organ yeah, yeah, investors. Um, Especially, you know, if you have a play that has some theme or tie to an organization, like you have a domestic violence theme in your play, or you have yeah. a humanities theme that you can tie to an organization, maybe pitching to that organization to see if there could be some funding or something of this nature. Sponsors, advertisers, like, yeah, as Bob said earlier on, like, when you go into this profession, you are a business person as well as a creative and sometimes those two things are like oil and water but they can't be if you're going to be successful and i i go as far as to say like that may not be appealing to you because it's not appealing to me to write grants and all of that but the greater benefit is the potential to get these works out there mm -hmm. and then that is to get more people to see that they can too have accessibility and and there are these newer ways that we didn't have access to previously. We can do things on social media that we couldn't do before in terms of fundraising yeah. um, and awareness and, and all of that. So I think that that's a part of keeping the arts alive and adapting theater is using these funding sources that, are, that now we have access to to bring about um, the kinds of things we want to see on, that, on those stages. Yeah. To add to what Dana... George, what Deb has said earlier, if you listen to what we're saying, there is a distinct threat to theater. It's not an end of an art form threat. George was right about that. Um, you're talking about a medium who's made it through multiple ends of worlds as people knew them. Um, the biggest threat to our modern theater is complacency and gatekeeping. It's people trying to maintain a pretense to an art form that is universal. It's us as playwrights who have been successful not sharing how. Mm. It's yeah. people saying, well, you know, maybe I'll, I'll think about writing a play and having people say, why not? Instead of, well, it's not why? as easy as you think, <laughs> right? Um, it's up to us to read and promote playwrights that we like and be advocates for playwrights that we are fans of. Why MPX is so important. It gives us an opportunity to find those people. Mm -hmm. um, 
we need to do whatever we can to tear down gatekeeping. Yeah. We need to be each other's cheerleaders. We need to, if you have a friend who's promoting a show, it's up to us to not only go to it, but to bring people with us. Mm. It's up yeah. to us to lift each other up within this medium and to be the education that we needed when we needed it. <laughs> to yes. to be that voice to say this is how you do it like dana was yes. saying let's raise each other up if you're gonna burn bright you can't use other people as kindling mm. bottom yeah. line you just can't because you will burn out that is not the way that you sustain yourself in this field or any other no you, know? you, you get um we've seen it before on on social media where there is a certain sense of entitlement but then you also get on the flip side of that when you're, especially with social media, because we celebrate so much of our achievements and celebrate each other, is you'll get the feeling of being stood on one side of a fence and this other playwright stood over there in this wonderful lush green meadow and you suddenly look down at this kind of mm -hmm. pale yellow dry piece of shit script in your hand and think... <laughs> Yeah, why aren't I yeah. over there? <laughs> yeah, so what I would... Or even worse, maybe I don't deserve to be over there. Yeah, no, what I would say is get curious. Get curious about what those are doing that if you want to be produced. Now, that's not the goal of every playwright. No. I took a wonderful course at the Tisch School and like I it blew my mind that playwrights write plays just because they want to write plays. Wow, what a concept right. yeah. that not everyone wants to be produced. And it doesn't have to be your goal to be produced. But if it is, and if that is something you feel passionate about and you're looking and seeing the grass is greener, then get curious about that landscaping. What's going on yeah. over there? What? Yeah. And any good playwright worth anything is going gonna, is gonna to tell you. And a lot of the rejection comes from festivals. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. it's important to understand when submitting to a festival that you are an ingredient in a larger dish. Yeah. You not being selected doesn't mean you're not valuable or delicious, to keep the <laughs> metaphor. You know, <laughs> what it means is that, I'm sorry, sometimes you don't add garlic to a cake. Yeah, Garlic's fantastic. Right cake is wonderful. They don't go together. It's not a rejection of garlic. It's just garlic not seeing the bigger picture as to why. You have value. Your play not being selected is not a rejection on you. It's you just didn't fit what they were looking for for that festival. But on the subject of support, though, it is quite nice to have the support on both edges, where you got the people who, as you just did, talked entirely rationally about it, explained it, kind of, and it makes total sense. And I know there's loads of people out there who will think, yeah, that makes total sense. But then it's also quite nice to have someone just sit down beside and you go, well, it's their loss anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Which Everybody is what my partner needs. does every yeah. single time. <laughs> and both are valid. It is. It yeah. is. I, I've been doing this long enough where I, if I submit, most of the time I forget where I submit to. I have a spreadsheet to keep track. Yeah, so do I. And... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I am close to and care about so many people in theater. And that number has doubled and tripled since the pandemic that I've actually gotten closer to more and more. That I don't, it's not a situation where I didn't get into a festival. It's a situation where some of my favorite playwrights did. Yeah. So either way, I win. 
Yes. Okay, George, final thought, and then we'll move on to the last question. Final thought. Uh, I'm going to make it quick because I know we're taking a while here. Uh, I'm going to drop a very small bomb here. Ah. Um, in my book, Workshopping the New Play, uh, one thing I stress over and over and over, and we've said it here a million times today, theater is collaborative. Yes, we write in a vacuum. Playwrights write, some most of us write in a vacuum, but it's fine. But once we take it out of that vacuum and we put it down to readings, other people get involved and that affects us. And then we bring it to theaters and tech people get involved and that affects us. And we become a family, we become a unit. We become cohesive. We become a thing, not 23 separate people. We become one production. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. glorious. And that's what makes theater the ultimate joy for me. So if you could adv address the next generation of playwrights, what would you advise them has been your biggest struggle and what would be your main piece of advice? Dana. All right. Let's see here. All right. Well, um... I guess my best advice is that there's room for all of us. Lift each other up. Community is important. Um, you can't burn bright by using others as kindling. Remember that. Be willing to hear feedback. Stay humble. And um, a piece of advice, I believe Bob gave me this advice early on, was don't write like a director and don't edit as you write. <laughs> so one hat as a, at a time would be my advice. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, um, let your characters talk to you and be willing to sit back and listen and know that what you've done is important, whether one person reads it or a thousand people hear it on a stage. You are important and your voice matters. And this is as much about your personal growth as it is about creating something that others can share. Okay, Bob, can you follow that? That is my exact message. So I don't have to really worry. <laughs> I'll go she, technical. What she said. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Dana and I talk all the time. Um, we we share similar viewpoints. Not similar. We share the same viewpoints. We <laughs> um, we both kind of have the same mission in in theater. It's to lift each other up, expose marginalized communities, and make sure that their works are being produced as much as your own. Um. So I'll go on the technical side of things, right? My biggest challenge was giving myself permission to write. I have ADHD. I have many different hyperfocuses. There's a reason why I'm a polymath. It's I have gone down many rabbit holes, but my passion has always been with theater and writing. So embrace the new technology. You don't need final draft to write. If you have a pen and a notebook paper, you can write a play. Write anywhere. If you have a phone or a tape recorder mm. and you're comfortable talking to yourself, improvising the show on the way to work is writing. Um, and the other thing is remember that the second you start writing a play, you are a playwright. You don't need to worry about being produced. You don't need to worry about being published. You don't need to worry about whether or not people know who you are. If you wrote a show, if you're in the process of writing a show, if you think you might want to start writing a show sometime, you're a playwright. If you're in any part of that process, you're one of our contemporaries. And if you tell us you're a playwright, we will treat you as such. 
that's all. So Deb, what about you? Yeah, future playwrights. I'm going to tell you what I tell myself. Write every day. Just <laughs> write. Just do it. Um, there are some days that you think, oh, I don't have it in me. Do it. Write a page. Write two pages. It's all about stamina. It's all about growing with your art. So I think that idea of writing every day is the most important thing. Mm. Most definitely. George. I don't think there's anything left. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to do it in a different order because we start with Dana was last yeah. last time. <laughs> uh, okay, so here I go. Ditto. No, uh, um, if you're a playwright, you'll know it. And it's between you, your soul, and the universe. Write the stories you feel behooved to write. Do not worry if they're good. Write what you need to write. Um, write in cafes, because this way you will hear the voices of other people living life. You will hear cadences. Yeah. You will hear emotions. You will hear people breaking up. You will hear lovers coming together. Um, you will hear people asking for directions. You will hear humanity. All of that will fit on the pages of your plays. Yeah. Um, if you're a playwright, Learn how to design sound, learn how to do lights, yes. learn how to do the hardest job in the world besides nursing, stage management. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and then when, yeah, direct. Okay. Yeah. Produce. All of this will make your next play so much better. You will, it's, learn everything you can about theater because if you're in theater you need to be in it 110 percent because it's your lifeblood joy mm. um and collaborate because everybody else in theater is a misfit just like you <laughs> so yeah. you found your you found your pod kids so that's all i got um okay well that brings us to our conclusion thank you so much all four of you for joining me it's been an absolute pleasure and you've made this brilliant and i hope there are people out there who are listening and will relish the amazing advice that you've that you've given because that's who you are So there you go, that's our first episode of The Panel Presents, all done and dusted. I hope you enjoyed all the wonderful chit-chat, advice and general wonderful chaos that my four panellists provided you with this time. I hope you can join us again in a month's time where we'll have another four panellists answering more questions for you. In the meantime though, I've been Rachel Feeney-Williams, this is Theatrical Shenanigans, bringing down the curtain and saying I hope you can join us next time. Theatrical Shenanigans was an RFW Scripts production, with music written and produced by Chris Cody.